Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 34 of The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 34 In which is continued the novel of the ill-advised curiosity. It is commonly said that an army looks ill without its general, and a castle without its castellan. And I say that a young married woman looks still worse without her husband, unless there are very good reasons for it. I find myself so ill at ease without you, and so incapable of enduring this separation, that unless you return quickly I shall have to go for relief to my parents' house, even if I leave yours without a protector. For the one you left me, if indeed he deserved that title, has, I think, more regard to his own pleasure than to what concerns you. As you are possessed of discernment, I need say no more to you, nor is it fitting I should say more." anselmo received this letter and from it he gathered that lothario had already begun his task and that camilla must have replied to him as he would have wished and delighted beyond measure at such intelligence he sent word to her not to leave his house on any account as he would very shortly return camilla was astonished at anselmo's reply which placed her in greater perplexity than before for she neither dared to remain in her own house nor yet to go to her parents for in remaining her virtue was imperilled and in going she was opposing her husband's commands finally she decided upon what was the worst course for her to remain resolving not to fly from the presence of lothario that she might not give food for gossip to her servants and she now began to regret having written as she had to her husband fearing he might imagine that lothario had perceived in her some lightness which had impelled him to lay aside the respect he owed her but confident of her rectitude she put her trust in god and in her own virtuous intentions with which she hoped to resist in silence all the solicitations of lothario without saying anything to her husband so as not to involve him in any quarrel or trouble and she even began to consider how to excuse lothario to anselmo when he should ask her what it was that induced her to write that letter with these resolutions more honourable than judicious or effectual she remained the next day listening to lothario who pressed his suit so strenuously that camilla's firmness began to waver 
and her virtue had enough to do to come to the rescue of her eyes and keep them from showing signs of a certain tender compassion which the tears and appeals of lothario had awakened in her bosom lothario observed all this and it inflamed him all the more in short he felt that while anselmo's absence afforded time and opportunity he must press the siege of the fortress and so he assailed her self-esteem with praises of her beauty for there is nothing that more quickly reduces and levels the castle towers of fair women's vanity than vanity itself upon the tongue of flattery in fact with the utmost assiduity he undermined the rock of her purity with such engines that had camilla been of brass she must have fallen he wept he entreated he promised he flattered he importuned he pretended with so much feeling and apparent sincerity that he overthrew the virtuous resolves of camilla and won the triumph he least expected and most longed for camilla yielded camilla fell but what wonder if the friendship of lothario could not stand firm a clear proof to us that the passion of love is to be conquered only by flying from it and that no one should engage in a struggle with an enemy so mighty for divine strength is needed to overcome his human power leonela alone knew of her mistress's weakness for the two false friends and new lovers were unable to conceal it lothario did not care to tell camilla the object anselmo had in view nor that he had afforded him the opportunity of attaining such a result lest she should undervalue his love and think that it was by chance and without intending it and not of his own accord that he had made love to her a few days later anselmo returned to his house and did not perceive what it had lost that which he so lightly treated and so highly prized he went at once to see lothario and found him at home they embraced each other and anselmo asked for the tidings of his life or his death the tidings i have to give thee anselmo my friend said lothario are that thou dost possess a wife that is worthy to be the pattern and crown of all good wives the words that i have addressed to her were borne away on the wind my promises have been despised my presents have been refused such feigned tears as i shed have been turned into open ridicule in short as camilla is the essence of all beauty so is she the treasure-house where purity dwells and gentleness and modesty abide with all the virtues that can confer praise honour and happiness upon a woman take back thy money my friend here it is and i have had no need to touch it for the chastity of camilla yields not to things so base as gifts or promises be content anselmo and refrain from making further proof and as thou hast passed dry shod through the sea of those doubts and suspicions that are and may be entertained of women seek not to plunge again into the deep ocean of new embarrassments or with another pilot make trial of the goodness and strength of the bark that heaven has granted thee for thy passage across the sea of this world but reckon thyself now safe in port moor thyself with the anchor of sound reflection and rest in peace until thou art called upon to pay that debt which no nobility on earth can escape paying anselmo was completely satisfied by the words of lothario and believed them as fully as if they had been spoken by an oracle nevertheless he begged of him not to relinquish the undertaking were it but for the sake of curiosity and amusement 
though thenceforward he need not make use of the same earnest endeavours as before all he wished him to do was to write some verses to her praising her under the name of chloris for he himself would give her to understand that he was in love with a lady to whom he had given that name to enable him to sing her praises with the decorum due to her modesty and if lothario were unwilling to take the trouble of writing the verses he would compose them himself that will not be necessary said lothario for the muses are not such enemies of mine but that they visit me now and then in the course of the year do thou tell camilla what thou hast proposed about a pretended amour of mine as for the verses i will make them and if not as good as the subject deserves they shall be at least the best i can produce an agreement to this effect was made between the friends the ill-advised one and the treacherous and anselmo returning to his house asked camilla the question she already wondered he had not asked before what it was that had caused her to write the letter she had sent him camilla replied that it had seemed to her that lothario looked at her somewhat more freely than when he had been at home but that now she was undeceived and believed it to have been only her own imagination for lothario now avoided seeing her or being alone with her anselmo told her she might be quite easy on the score of that suspicion for he knew that lothario was in love with a damsel of rank in the city whom he celebrated under the name of chloris and that even if he were not his fidelity and their great friendship left no room for fear had not camilla however been informed beforehand by lothario that this love for chloris was a pretence and that he himself had told anselmo of it in order to be able sometimes to give utterance to the praises of camilla herself no doubt she would have fallen into the despairing toils of jealousy but being forewarned she received the startling news without uneasiness the next day as the three were at table anselmo asked lothario to recite something of what he had composed for his mistress chloris for as camilla did not know her he might safely say what he liked even did she know her returned lothario i would hide nothing for when a lover praises his lady's beauty and charges her with cruelty he casts no imputation upon her fair name at any rate all i can say is that yesterday i made a sonnet on the ingratitude of this chloris which goes thus sonnet at midnight in the silence when the eyes of happier mortals balmy slumbers close the weary tale of my unnumbered woes to chloris and to heaven is wont to rise and when the light of day returning dies the portals of the east with tints of rose with undiminished force my sorrow flows in broken accents and in burning sighs and when the sun ascends his star-girt throne and on the earth pours down his midday beams noon but renews my wailing and my tears and with the night again goes up my moan yet ever in my agony it seems to me that neither heaven nor chloris hears the sonnet pleased camilla and still more anselmo for he praised it and said the lady was excessively cruel who made no return for sincerity so manifest on which camilla said then all that love-smitten poets say is true as poets they do not tell the truth replied lothario but as lovers they are not more defective in expression than they are truthful there is no doubt of that observed anselmo anxious to support and uphold lothario's ideas with camilla who was as regardless of his design as she was deep in love with lothario 
and so taking delight in anything that was his and knowing that his thoughts and writings had her for their object and that she herself was the real chloris she asked him to repeat some other sonnet or verses if he recollected any i do replied lothario but i do not think it as good as the first one or more correctly speaking less bad but you can easily judge for it is this sonnet i know that i am doomed death is to me as certain as that thou ungrateful fair dead at thy feet should see me lying ere my heart repented of its love for thee if buried in oblivion i should be bereft of life fame favour even there it would be found that i thy image bear deep graven in my breast for all to see this like some holy relic do i prize to save me from the fate my truth entails truth that to thy hard heart its vigour owes alas for him that under lowering skies in peril o'er a trackless ocean sails where neither friendly port nor pole star shows anselmo praised the second sonnet too as he had praised the first and so he went on adding link after link to the chain with which he was binding himself and making his dishonour secure for when lothario was doing most to dishonour him he told him he was most honoured and thus each step that camilla descended towards the depth of her abasement she mounted in the opinion of her husband towards the summit of virtue and fair fame it so happened that finding herself on one occasion alone with her maid camilla said to her i am ashamed to think my dear leonella how lightly i have valued myself that i did not compel lothario to purchase by at least some expenditure of time that full possession of me that i so quickly yielded him of my own free will i fear that he will think ill of my pliancy or lightness not considering the irresistible influence he brought to bear upon me let not that trouble you my lady said leonela for it does not take away the value of the thing given or make it the less precious to give it quickly if it be really valuable and worthy of being prized nay they are wont to say that he who gives quickly gives twice they say also said camilla that what costs little is valued less that saying does not hold good in your case replied leonela for love as i have heard say sometimes flies and sometimes walks with this one it runs with that it moves slowly some it cools others it burns some it wounds others it slays it begins the course of its desires and at the same moment completes and ends it in the morning it will lay siege to a fortress and by night will have taken it for there is no power that can resist it so what are you in dread of what do you fear when the same must have befallen lothario love having chosen the absence of my lord as the instrument for subduing you and it was absolutely necessary to complete then what love had resolved upon without affording the time to let anselmo return and by his presence compel the work to be left unfinished for love has no better agent for carrying out his designs than opportunity and of opportunity he avails himself in all his feats especially at the outset all this i know well myself more by experience than by hearsay and some day senora i will enlighten you on the subject for i am of young flesh and blood too moreover lady camilla you did not surrender yourself or yield so quickly but that first you saw lothario's whole soul in his eyes in his sighs in his words his promises and his gifts 
and by it and his good qualities perceived how worthy he was of your love this then being the case let not these scrupulous and prudish ideas trouble your imagination that lothario prizes you as you do him and rest content and satisfied that as you are caught in the noose of love it is one of worth and merit that has taken you and one that has not only the four s's that they say true lovers ought to have but a complete alphabet only listen to me and you will see how i can repeat it by rote he is to my eyes and thinking amiable brave courteous distinguished elegant fond gay honourable illustrious loyal manly noble open polite quick-witted rich and the s's according to the saying note the four s's that should qualify a lover were sabio sola solicito secreto it is needless to say that leonela's alphabet cannot be literally translated End note. and then tender veracious x does not suit him for it is a rough letter y has been given already and z zealous for your honour camilla laughed at her maid's alphabet and perceived her to be more experienced in love affairs than she said which she admitted confessing to camilla that she had love passages with a young man of good birth of the same city camilla was uneasy at this dreading lest it might prove the means of endangering her honour and asked whether her intrigue had gone beyond words and she with little shame and much effrontery said it had for certain it is that ladies imprudences make servants shameless who when they see their mistresses make a false step think nothing of going astray themselves or of its being known all that camilla could do was to entreat leonela to say nothing about her doings to him whom she called her lover and to conduct her own affairs secretly lest they should come to the knowledge of anselmo or of lothario leonela said she would but kept her word in such a way that she confirmed camilla's apprehension of losing her reputation through her means for this abandoned and bold leonela as soon as she perceived that her mistress's demeanour was not what it was wont to be had the audacity to introduce her lover into the house confident that even if her mistress saw him she would not dare to expose him for the sins of mistresses entail this mischief among others they make themselves the slaves of their own servants and are obliged to hide their laxities and depravities as was the case with camilla who though she perceived not once but many times that leonela was with her lover in some room of the house not only did not dare to chide her but afforded her opportunities for concealing him and removed all difficulties lest he should be seen by her husband she was unable however to prevent him from being seen on one occasion as he sallied forth at daybreak by lothario who not knowing who he was at first took him for a spectre but as soon as he saw him hasten away muffling his face with his cloak and concealing himself carefully and cautiously he rejected this foolish idea and adopted another which would have been the ruin of all had not camilla found a remedy it did not occur to lothario that this man he had seen issuing at such an untimely hour from anselmo's house could have entered it on leonela's account nor did he even remember there was such a person as leonela all he thought was that as camilla had been light and yielding with him so she had been with another for this further penalty the erring woman's sin brings with it that her honour is distrusted even by him to whose overtures and persuasions she has yielded 
and he believes her to have surrendered more easily to others and gives implicit credence to every suspicion that comes into his mind all lothario's good sense seems to have failed him at this juncture all his prudent maxims escaped his memory for without once reflecting rationally and without more ado in his impatience and in the blindness of the jealous rage that gnawed his heart and dying to revenge himself upon camilla who had done him no wrong before anselmo had risen he hastened to him and said to him no anselmo that for several days past i have been struggling with myself striving to withhold from thee what it is no longer possible or right that i should conceal from thee know that camilla's fortress has surrendered and is ready to submit to my will and if i have been slow to reveal this fact to thee it was in order to see if it were some light caprice of hers or if she sought to try me and ascertain if the love i began to make to her with thy permission was made with a serious intention i thought too that she if she were what she ought to be and what we both believed her and would have ere this given the information of my addresses but seeing that she delays i believe the truth of the promise she has given me that the next time thou art absent from the house she will grant me an interview in the closet where thy jewels are kept and it was true that camilla used to meet him there but i do not wish thee to rush precipitately to take vengeance for the sin is as yet only committed in intention and camilla's may change perhaps between this and the appointed time and repentance spring up in its place as hitherto thou hast always followed my advice wholly or in part follow and observe this that i will give thee now so that without mistake and with mature deliberation thou mayest satisfy thyself as to what may seem the best course pretend to absent thyself for two or three days as thou hast been wont to do on other occasions and contrive to hide thyself in the closet for the tapestries and other things there afford great facilities for thy concealment and then thou wilt see with thine own eyes and i with mine what camilla's purpose may be and if it be a guilty one which may be feared rather than expected with silence prudence and discretion thou canst thyself become the instrument of punishment for the wrong done thee anselmo was amazed overwhelmed and astounded at the words of lothario which came upon him at a time when he least expected to hear them for he now looked upon camilla as having triumphed over the pretended attacks of lothario and was beginning to enjoy the glory of her victory he remained silent for a considerable time looking on the ground with fixed gaze and at length said thou hast behaved lothario as i expected of thy friendship i will follow thy advice in everything do thou as thou wilt and keep this secret as thou seest it should be kept in circumstances so unlooked for lothario gave him his word but after leaving him he repented altogether of what he had said to him perceiving how foolishly he had acted as he might have revenged himself upon camilla in some less cruel and degrading way he cursed his want of sense condemned his hasty resolution and knew not what course to take to undo the mischief or find some ready escape from it at last he decided upon revealing all to camilla and as there was no want of opportunity for doing so he found her alone the same day but she as soon as she had the chance of speaking to him said lothario my friend i must tell thee i have a sorrow in my heart which fills it so that it seems ready to burst 
and it will be a wonder if it does not for the audacity of leonella has now reached such a pitch that every night she conceals a gallant of hers in this house and remains with him till morning at the expense of my reputation inasmuch as it is open to any one to question it who may see him quitting my house at such unseasonable hours but what distresses me is that i cannot punish or chide her for her privity to our intrigue bridles my mouth and keeps me silent about hers while i am dreading that some catastrophe will come of it as camilla said this lothario at first imagined it was some device to delude him into the idea that the man he had seen going out was leonella's lover and not hers but when he saw how she wept and suffered and begged him to help her he became convinced of the truth and the conviction completed his confusion and remorse however he told camilla not to distress herself as he would take measures to put a stop to the insolence of leonella at the same time he told her what driven by the fierce rage of jealousy he had said to anselmo and how he had arranged to hide himself in the closet that he might there see plainly how little she preserved her fidelity to him and he entreated her pardon for this madness and her advice as to how to repair it and escape safely from the intricate labyrinth in which his imprudence had involved him camilla was struck with alarm at hearing what lothario said and with much anger and great good sense she reproved him and rebuked his base design and the foolish and mischievous resolution he had made but as woman has by nature a nimbler wit than man for good and for evil though it is apt to fall when she sets herself deliberately to reason camilla on the spur of the moment thought of a way to remedy what was to all appearance irremediable and told lothario to contrive that the next day anselmo should conceal himself in the place he mentioned for she hoped from his concealment to obtain the means of their enjoying themselves for the future without any apprehension and without revealing her purpose to him entirely she charged him to be careful as soon as anselmo was concealed to come to her when leonella should call him and to all she said to him to answer as he would have answered had he not known that anselmo was listening lothario pressed her to explain her intention fully so that he might with more certainty and precaution take care to do what he sought to be needful i tell you said camilla there is nothing to take care of except to answer me what i shall ask you for she did not wish to explain to him beforehand what she meant to do fearing lest he should be unwilling to follow out an idea which seemed to her such a good one and should try or devise some other less practicable plan lothario then retired and the next day anselmo under pretence of going to his friend's country house took his departure and then returned to conceal himself which he was able to do easily as camilla and leonella took care to give him the opportunity and so he placed himself in hiding in the state of agitation that it may be imagined he would feel who expected to see the vitals of his honour laid bare before his eyes and found himself on the point of losing the supreme blessing he thought he possessed in his beloved camilla having made sure of anselmo's being in his hiding-place camilla and leonella entered the closet and the instant she set foot within it camilla said with a deep sigh ah dear leonella would it not be better before i do what i am unwilling you should know lest you should seek to prevent it that you should take anselmo's dagger that i have asked of you 
and with it pierce this vile heart of mine but no there is no reason why i should suffer the punishment of another's fault i will first know what it is that the bold licentious eyes of lothario have seen in me that could have encouraged him to reveal to me a design so base as that which he has disclosed regardless of his friend and of my honour go to the window leonella and call him for no doubt he is in the street waiting to carry out his vile project but mine cruel it may be but honourable shall be carried out first ah senora said the crafty leonela who knew her part what is it you want to do with this dagger can it be that you mean to take your own life or lothario's for whichever you mean to do it will lead to the loss of your reputation and good name it is better to dissemble your wrong and not give this wicked man the chance of entering the house now and finding us alone consider senora we are weak women and he is a man and determined and as he comes with such a base purpose blind and urged by passion perhaps before you can put yours into execution he may do what will be worse for you than taking your life ill betide my master anselmo for giving such authority in his house to this shameless fellow and supposing you kill him senora as i suspect you mean to do what shall we do with him when he is dead what my friend replied camilla we shall leave him for anselmo to bury him for in reason it will be to him a light labour to hide his own infamy underground summon him make haste for all the time i delay in taking vengeance for my wrong seems to me an offence against the loyalty i owe my husband anselmo was listening to all this and every word that camilla uttered made him change his mind but when he heard that it was resolved to kill lothario his first impulse was to come out and show himself to avert such a disaster but in his anxiety to see the issue of a resolution so bold and virtuous he restrained himself intending to come forth in time to prevent the deed at this moment camilla throwing herself upon a bed that was close by swooned away and leonella began to weep bitterly exclaiming woe is me that i should be fated to have dying here in my arms the flower of virtue upon earth the crown of true wives the pattern of chastity with more to the same effect so that any one who heard her would have taken her for the most tender-hearted and faithful handmaid in the world and her mistress for another persecuted penelope camilla was not long in recovering from her fainting fit and on coming to herself she said why do you not go leonella to call hither that friend the falsest to his friend the sun ever shone upon or night concealed away run haste speed lest the fire of my wrath burn itself out with delay and the righteous vengeance that i hope for melt away in menaces and maledictions i am just going to call him senora said leonela but you must first give me that dagger thus while i am gone you should by means of it give cause to all who love you to weep all their lives go in peace dear leonela i will not do so said camilla for rash and foolish as i may be to your mind in defending my honour i am not going to be so much so as that lucretia who they say killed herself without having done anything wrong and without having first killed him on whom the guilt of her misfortune lay i shall die if i am to die but it must be after full vengeance upon him who has brought me here to weep over audacity that no fault of mine gave birth to leonella required much pressing before she would go to summon lothario 
but at last she went and while awaiting her return camilla continued as if speaking to herself good god would it not have been more prudent to have repulsed lothario as i have done many a time before than to allow him as i am now doing to think me unchaste and vile even for the short time i must wait until i undeceive him no doubt it would have been better but i should not be avenged nor the honour of my husband vindicated should he find so clear and easy an escape from the strait into which his depravity has led him let the traitor pay with his life for the temerity of his wanton wishes let the world know if haply it shall ever come to know that camilla not only preserved her allegiance to her husband but avenged him of the man who dared to wrong him still i think it might be better to disclose this to anselmo but then i have called his attention to it in the letter i wrote to him in the country and if he did nothing to prevent the mischief i there pointed out to him i suppose it was that from pure goodness of heart and trustfulness he would not and could not believe that any thought against his honour could harbour in the breast of so staunch a friend nor indeed did i myself believe it for many days nor should i have ever believed it if his insolence had not gone so far as to make it manifest by open presence lavish promises and ceaseless tears but why do i argue thus does a bold determination stand in need of arguments surely not then fears avaunt vengeance to my aid let the false one come approach advance die yield up his life and then befall what may pure i came to him whom heaven bestowed upon me pure i shall leave him and at the worst bathed in my own chaste blood and in the foul blood of the falsest friend that friendship ever saw and as she uttered these words she paced the room holding the unsheathed dagger with such irregular and disordered steps in such gestures that one would have supposed her to have lost her senses and taken her for some violent desperado instead of a delicate woman anselmo concealed behind some tapestries where he had hidden himself beheld and was amazed at all and already felt that what he had seen and heard was a sufficient answer to even greater suspicions and he would have been now well pleased if the proof afforded by lothario's coming were dispensed with as he feared some sudden mishap but as he was on the point of showing himself and coming forth to embrace and undeceive his wife he paused as he saw leonella returning leading lothario camilla when she saw him drawing a long line in front of her on the floor with a dagger said to him lothario pay attention to what i say to thee if by any chance thou darest to cross this line thou seest or even approach it the instant i see thee attempt it that same instant will i pierce my bosom with this dagger that i hold in my hand and before thou answerest me a word i desire thee to listen to a few from me and afterwards thou shalt reply as may please thee first i desire thee to tell me lothario if thou knowest my husband anselmo and in what light thou regardest him and secondly i desire to know if thou knowest me too answer me this without embarrassment or reflecting deeply what thou wilt answer for they are no riddles i put to thee lothario was not so dull but that from the first moment when camilla directed him to make anselmo hide himself he understood what she intended to do and therefore he fell in with her idea so readily and promptly that between them they made the imposture look more true than truth so he answered her thus i did not think fair camilla 
that thou wert calling me to ask questions so remote from the object with which i come but if it is to defer the promised reward thou art doing so thou mightest have put it off still longer for the longing for happiness gives the more distress that nearer comes the hopes of gaining it but lest thou should say that i do not answer thy questions i say that i know thy husband anselmo and that we have known each other from our earliest years i will not speak of what thou too knowest of our friendship that i may not compel myself to testify against the wrong that love the mighty excuse for greater errors makes me inflict upon him thee i know and hold in the same estimation as he does for were it not so i had not for a lesser prize acted in opposition to what i owe to my station and the holy laws of true friendship now broken and violated by me through that powerful enemy love if thou dost confess that returned camilla mortal enemy of all that rightly deserves to be loved with what face dost thou dare to come before one whom thou knowest to be the mirror wherein he is reflected on whom thou shouldst look to see how unworthy thou wrongest him but woe is me i now comprehend what has made thee give so little heed to what thou owest to thyself it must have been some freedom of mine for i will not call it immodesty as it did not proceed from any deliberate intention but from some heedlessness such as women are guilty of through inadvertence when they think they have no occasion for reserve but tell me traitor when did i by word or sign give a reply to thy prayers that could awaken in thee a shadow of hope of attaining thy base wishes when were not thy professions of love sternly and scornfully rejected and rebuked when were thy frequent pledges and still more frequent gifts believed or accepted but as i am persuaded that no one can long persevere in the attempt to win love unsustained by some hope i am willing to attribute to myself the blame of thy assurance for no doubt some thoughtlessness of mine has all this time fostered thy hopes and therefore will i punish myself and inflict upon myself the penalty thy guilt deserves and that thou mayest see that being so relentless to myself i cannot possibly be otherwise to thee i have summoned thee to be a witness of the sacrifice i mean to offer to the injured honour of my honoured husband wronged by thee with all the assiduity thou wert capable of and by me too through want of caution in avoiding every occasion if i have given any of encouraging and sanctioning thy base designs once more i say the suspicion in my mind that some imprudence of mine has engendered these lawless thoughts in thee is what causes me most distress and what i desire most to punish with my own hands for were any other instrument of punishment employed my error might become perhaps more widely known but before i do so in my death i mean to inflict death and take with me one that will fully satisfy my longing for the revenge i hope for and have for i shall see wheresoever it may be that i go the penalty awarded by inflexible unswerving justice on him who has placed me in a position so desperate as she uttered these words with incredible energy and swiftness she flew upon lothario with a naked dagger so manifestly bent on burying it in his breast that he was almost uncertain whether these demonstrations were real or feigned for he was obliged to have recourse to all his skill and strength to prevent her from striking him and with such reality did she act as strange farce and mystification 
that to give it a colour of truth she determined to stain it with her own blood for perceiving or pretending that she could not wound lothario she said fate it seems will not grant my just desire complete satisfaction but it will not be able to keep me from satisfying it partially at least and making an effort to free the hand with the dagger which lothario held in his grasp she released it and directing the point to a place where it could not inflict a deep wound she plunged it into her left side high up close to the shoulder and then allowed herself to fall to the ground as if in a faint leonela and lothario stood amazed and astounded at the catastrophe and seeing camilla stretched on the ground and bathed in her blood they were uncertain as to the true nature of the act lothario terrified and breathless ran in haste to pluck out the dagger but when he saw how slight the wound was he was relieved of his fears and once more admired the subtlety coolness and ready wit of the fair camilla and the better to support the part he had to play he began to utter profuse and doleful lamentations over her body as if she were dead invoking maledictions not only on himself but also on him who had been the means of placing him in such a position and knowing that his friend anselmo heard him he spoke in such a way as to make a listener feel much more pity for him than for camilla even though he supposed her dead leonella took her up in her arms and laid her on the bed entreating lothario to go in quest of someone to attend to her wound in secret and at the same time asking his advice and opinion as to what they should say to anselmo about his lady's wound if he should chance to return before it was healed he replied they might say what they liked for he was not in a state to give advice that would be of any use all he could tell her was to try and staunch the blood as he was going where he should never more be seen and with every appearance of deep grief and sorrow he left the house but when he found himself alone and where there was nobody to see him he crossed himself unceasingly lost in wonder at the adroitness of camilla and the consistent acting of leonella he reflected how convinced anselmo would be that he had a second portia for a wife and he looked forward anxiously to meeting him in order to rejoice together over falsehood and truth the more craftily veiled that could possibly be imagined leonella as he told her staunched her lady's blood which was no more than sufficed to support her deception and washing the wound with a little wine she bound it up to the best of her skill talking all the time she was tending her in a strain that even if nothing else had been said before would have been enough to assure anselmo that he had in camilla a model of purity to leonella's words camilla added her own calling herself cowardly and wanting in spirit since she had not enough at the time she had most need of it to rid herself of the life she so much loathed she asked her attendant's advice as to whether or not she ought to inform her beloved husband of all that had happened but the other bade her say nothing about it as she would lay upon him the obligation of taking vengeance on lothario which he could not do but at great risk to himself and it was the duty of a true wife not to give her husband provocation to quarrel but on the contrary to remove it as far as possible from him camilla replied that she believed she was right and that she would follow her advice but at any rate it would be well to consider how she was to explain the wound to anselmo for he could not help seeing it to which leonella answered that she did not know how to tell a lie even in jest how then can i know my dear said camilla for i should not dare to forge or keep up a falsehood if my life depended on it 
if we can think of no escape from this difficulty it will be better to tell him the plain truth than that he should find us out in an untrue story be not uneasy senora said leonela between this and to-morrow i will think of what we must say to him and perhaps the wound being where it is it can be hidden from his sight and heaven will be pleased to aid us in a purpose so good and honourable compose yourself senora and endeavour to calm your excitement lest my lord find you agitated and leave the rest to my care and god's who always supports good intentions anselmo had with the deepest attention listened to and seen played out the tragedy of the death of his honour which the performers acted with such wonderfully effective truth that it seemed as if they had become the realities of the parts they played he longed for night and an opportunity of escaping from the house to go and see his good friend lothario and with him give vent to his joy over the precious pearl he had gained in having established his wife's purity both mistress and maid took care to give him time and opportunity to get away and taking advantage of it he made his escape and at once went in quest of lothario and it would be impossible to describe how he embraced him when he found him and the things he said to him in the joy of his heart and the praises he bestowed upon camilla all which lothario listened to without being able to show any pleasure for he could not forget how deceived his friend was and how dishonourably he had wronged him and though anselmo could see that lothario was not glad still he imagined it was only because he had left camilla wounded and had been himself the cause of it and so among other things he told him not to be distressed about camilla's accident for as they had agreed to hide it from him the wound was evidently trifling and that being so he had no cause for fear but should henceforward be of good cheer and rejoice with him seeing that by his means and adroitness he found himself raised to the greatest height of happiness that he could have ventured to hope for and desired no better pastime than making verses in praise of camilla that would preserve her name for all time to come lothario commended his purpose and promised on his own part to aid him in raising a monument so glorious and so anselmo was left the most charmingly hoodwinked man there could be in the world he himself persuaded he was conducting the instrument of his glory led home by the hand him who had been the utter destruction of his good name whom camilla received with averted countenance though with smiles in her heart the deception was carried on for some time until at the end of a few months fortune turned her wheel and the guilt which had been until then so skilfully concealed was published abroad and anselmo paid with his life the penalty of his ill-advised curiosity end of volume one part one chapter thirty four Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 35 Of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha By Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895 this recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter thirty five which treats of the heroic and prodigious battle don quixote had with certain skins of red wine and brings the novel of the ill-advised curiosity to a close
there remained but little more of the novel to be read when sancho panza burst forth in wild excitement from the garret where don quixote was lying shouting run sirs quick and help my master who is in the thick of the toughest and stiffest battle i ever laid eyes on by the living god he has given the giant the enemy of my lady the princess micomicona such a slash that he has sliced his head clean off as if it were a turnip what are you talking about brother said the curate pausing as he was about to read the remainder of the novel are you in your senses sancho how the devil can it be as you say when the giant is two thousand leagues away here they heard a loud noise in the chamber and don quixote shouting out stand thief brigand a villain now i have got thee and thy scimitar shall not avail thee and then it seemed as though he were slashing vigorously at the wall don't stop to listen said sancho but go in and part them or help my master though there is no need of that now for no doubt the giant is dead by this time and giving account to god of his past wicked life for i saw the blood flowing on the ground and the head cut off and fallen on one side and it is as big as a large wine-skin may i die said the landlord at this if don quixote or don devil has not been slashing some of the skins of red wine that stand full at his bed's head and the spilt wine must be what this good fellow takes for blood and so saying he went into the room and the rest after him and there they found don quixote in the strangest costume in the world he was in his shirt which was not long enough in front to cover his thighs completely and was six fingers shorter behind his legs were very long and lean covered with hair and anything but clean on his head he had a little greasy red cap that belonged to the host round his left arm he had rolled the blanket of the bed to which sancho for reasons best known to himself owed a grudge and in his right hand he held his unsheathed sword with which he was slashing about on all sides uttering exclamations as if he were actually fighting some giant and the best of it was his eyes were not open for he was fast asleep and dreaming that he was doing battle with the giant for his imagination was so wrought upon by the adventure he was going to accomplish that it made him dream he had already reached the kingdom of micomicon and was engaged in combat with his enemy and believing he was laying on to the giant he had given so many sword cuts to the skins that the whole room was full of wine on seeing this the landlord was so enraged that he fell on don quixote and with his clinched fist began to pummel him in such a way that if cardenio and the curate had not dragged him off he would have brought the war of the giant to an end but in spite of all the poor gentleman never woke until the barber brought a great pot of cold water from the well and flung it with one dash all over his body on which don quixote woke up but not so completely as to understand what was the matter dorothea seeing how short and slight his attire was would not go in to witness the battle between her champion and her opponent as for sancho he went searching all over the floor for the head of the giant and not finding it he said i see now that it's all enchantment in this house for the last time on this very spot where i am now i got ever so many thumps and thwacks without knowing who gave them to me or being able to see anybody and now this head is not to be seen anywhere about though i saw it cut off with my own eyes and the blood running from the body as if from a fountain what blood and fountains are you talking about enemy of god and his saints said the landlord don't you see you thief that the blood and the fountain are only these skins here 
that have been stabbed and the red wine swimming all over the room and i wish i saw the soul of him that stabbed them swimming in hell i know nothing about that said sancho all i know is it will be my bad luck that through not finding this head my country will melt away like salt in water for sancho awake was far worse than his master asleep so much had his master's promises addled his wits the landlord was beside himself at the coolness of the squire and the mischievous doings of the master and swore it should not be like the last time when they went without paying and that their privileges of chivalry should not hold good this time to let one or other of them off without paying even to the cost of the plugs that would have to be put to the damaged wineskins the curate was holding don quixote's hands who fancying he had now ended the adventure and was in the presence of the princess micomicona knelt before the curate and said exalted and beauteous lady your highness may live from this day forth fearless of any harm this base being could do you and i too from this day forth am released from the promise i gave you since by the help of god on high and by the favour of her by whom i live and breathe i have fulfilled it so successfully did not i say so said sancho on hearing this you see i wasn't drunk there you see my master has already salted the giant there is no doubt about the bulls my country is all right who could have helped laughing at the absurdities of the pair master and man and laugh they did all except the landlord who cursed himself but at length the barber cardenio and the curate contrived with no small trouble to get don quixote on the bed and he fell asleep with every appearance of excessive weariness they left him to sleep and came out to the gate of the inn to console sancho panza on not having found the head of the giant but much more work had they to appease the landlord who was furious at the sudden death of his wineskins and said the landlady half scolding half crying at an evil moment and in an unlucky hour he came into my house this knight-errant would that i had never set eyes on him for dear he has cost me the last time he went off with the overnight score against him for supper bed straw and barley for himself and his squire and a hack and an ass saying he was a knight adventurer god send unlucky adventures to him and all the adventurers in the world and therefore not bound to pay anything for it was so settled by the knight errantry tariff and then all because of him came the other gentleman and carried off my tail and gives it back more than two quartillas the worse all stripped of its hair so that it is no use for my husband's purpose and then for a finishing touch to all to burst my wineskins and spoil my wine i wish i saw his own blood spilt but let him not deceive himself for by the bones of my father and the shade of my mother they shall pay me down every quarto or my name is not what it is and i am not my father's daughter all this and more to the same effect the landlady delivered with great irritation and her good maid maritornes locked her up nope backed her up while the daughter held her peace and smiled from time to time the curate smoothed matters by promising to make good all losses to the best of his power not only as regarded the wine-skins but also the wine and above all the depreciation of the tale which they set such store by dorothea comforted sancho telling him that she pledged herself as soon as it should appear certain that his master had decapitated the giant and she found herself peacefully established in her kingdom to bestow upon him the best county there was in it 
with this sancho consoled himself and assured the princess she might rely upon it that he had seen the head of the giant and more by token it had a beard that reached to the girdle and that if it was not to be seen now it was because everything that happened in that house went by enchantment as he himself had proved the last time he had lodged there dorothea said she fully believed it and that he need not be uneasy for all would go well and turn out as he wished all therefore being appeased the curate was anxious to get on with the novel as he saw there was but little more left to read dorothea and the others begged him to finish it and he as he was willing to please them and enjoyed reading it himself continued the tale in these words the result was that from the confidence anselmo felt in the virtue of camilla he lived happy and free from anxiety and camilla purposely looked coldly on lothario that anselmo might suppose her feelings towards him to be the opposite of what they were and the better to support the position lothario begged to be excused from coming to the house as the displeasure with which camilla regarded his presence was plain to be seen but the befooled anselmo said he would on no account allow such a thing and so in a thousand ways he became the author of his own dishonor while he believed he was ensuring his happiness meanwhile the satisfaction with which leonela saw herself empowered to carry on her amour reached such a height that regardless of everything else she followed her inclinations unrestrainedly feeling confident that her mistress would screen her and even show her how to manage it safely at last one night anselmo heard footsteps in leonela's room and on trying to enter to see who it was he found that the door was held against him which made him all the more determined to open it and exerting his strength he forced it open and entered the room in time to see a man leaping through the window into the street he ran quickly to seize him or discover who he was but he was unable to effect either purpose for leonela flung her arms around him crying be calm senor do not give way to passion or follow him who has escaped from this he belongs to me and in fact he is my husband anselmo would not believe it but blind with rage drew a dagger and threatened to stab leonela bidding her tell the truth or he would kill her she in her fear not knowing what she was saying exclaimed do not kill me senor for i can tell you things more important than any you can imagine tell me then at once or thou diest said anselmo it would be impossible for me now said leonela i am so agitated leave me till to-morrow and then you shall hear from me what will fill you with astonishment but rest assured that he who leaped through the window is a young man of the city who has given me his promise to become my husband anselmo was appeased with this and was content to wait the time she asked of him for he never expected to hear anything against camilla so satisfied and sure of her virtue was he and so he quitted the room and left leonela locked in telling her she should not come out until she had told him all she had to make known to him he went at once to see camilla and told her as he did all that had passed between him and her handmaid and the promise she had given him to inform him of matters of serious importance there was no need of saying whether camilla was agitated or not for so great was her fear and dismay that making sure as she had great reason to do that leonela would tell anselmo all she knew of her faithlessness she had not the courage to wait and see if her suspicions were confirmed and that same night as soon as she thought that anselmo was asleep she packed up the most valuable jewels she had and some money 
and without being observed by anybody escaped from the house and betook her to lothario's to whom she related what had occurred imploring him to convey her to some place of safety or fly with her to where they might be safe from anselmo the state of perplexity to which camilla reduced lothario was such that he was unable to utter a word in reply still less to decide upon what he should do at length he resolved to conduct her to a convent of which a sister of his was prioress camilla agreed to this and with the speed with which the circumstances demanded lothario took her to the convent and left her there and then himself quitted the city without letting any one know of his departure as soon as daylight came anselmo without missing camilla from his side rose eager to learn what leonela had to tell him and hastened to the room where he had locked her in he opened the door entered but found no leonela all he found was some sheets knotted to the window a plain proof that she had let herself down from it and escaped he returned uneasy to tell camilla but not finding her in bed or anywhere in the house he was lost in amazement he asked the servants of the house about her but none of them could give him any explanation as he was going in search of camilla it happened by chance that he observed her boxes were lying open and that the greater part of her jewels were gone and now he became fully aware of his disgrace and that leonela was not the cause of his misfortune and just as he was without delaying to dress himself completely he repaired sad at heart and dejected to his friend lothario to make known his sorrow to him but when he failed to find him and the servants reported that he had been absent from his house all night and had taken with him all the money he had he felt as though he were losing his senses and to make all complete on returning to his own house he found it deserted and empty not one of all his servants male or female remaining in it he knew not what to think or say or do and his reason seemed to be deserting him little by little he reviewed his position and saw himself in a moment left without wife friend or servants abandoned he felt by the heaven above him and more than all robbed of his honour for in camilla's disappearance he saw his own ruin after long reflection he resolved at last to go to his friend's country house where he had been staying when he afforded opportunities for the contrivance of this complication of misfortune he locked the doors of his house mounted his horse and with a broken spirit set out on his journey but he had hardly gone half-way when harassed by his reflections he had to dismount and tie his horse to a tree at the foot of which he threw himself giving vent to piteous heart-rending sighs and there he remained till nearly nightfall when he observed a man approaching on horseback from the city of whom after saluting him he asked what was the news in florence the citizen replied the strangest that had been heard for many a day for it is reported abroad that lothario the great friend of the wealthy anselmo who lived at san giovanni carried off last night camilla the wife of anselmo who also has disappeared all this has been told by a maid-servant of camilla's whom the governor found last night lowering himself by a sheet from the windows of anselmo's house i know not indeed precisely how the affair came to pass all i know is that the whole city is wondering at the occurrence for no one could have expected a thing of the kind seeing the great and intimate friendship that existed between them so great they say and they were called the two friends is it known at all said anselmo what road lothario and camilla took not in the least said the citizen though the governor has been very active in searching for them 
God speed you, senor, said Anselmo. God be with you, said the citizen, and went his way. This disastrous intelligence almost robbed Anselmo not only of his senses but of his life. He got up as well as he was able, and reached the house of his friend, who as yet knew nothing of his misfortune, but seeing him come pale, worn, and haggard, perceived that he was suffering some heavy affliction. Anselmo at once begged to be allowed to retire to rest, and to be given writing materials, his wish was complied with, and he was left lying down and alone, for he desired this, and even that the door should be locked. Finding himself alone, he so took to heart the thought of his misfortune, that by the signs of death he felt within him, he knew well his life was drawing to a close, and therefore he resolved to leave behind him a declaration of the cause of his strange end. He began to write, but before he had put down all he meant to say, his breath failed him, and he yielded up his life, a victim to the suffering which his ill-advised curiosity had entailed upon him. The master of the house, observing that it was now late, and that Anselmo did not call, determined to go in and ascertain if his indisposition was increasing, and found him lying on his face, his body partly in the bed, partly on the writing-table, on which he lay with the written paper open and the pen still in his hand. Having first called to him without receiving any answer, his host approached him, and taking him by the hand, found that it was cold, and saw that he was dead. Greatly surprised and distressed, he summoned the household to witness the sad fate which had befallen Anselmo. And then he read the paper, the handwriting of which he recognized as his, and which contained these words. A foolish and ill-advised desire has robbed me of life. If the news of my death should reach the ears of Camilla, let her know that I forgive her, for she was not bound to perform miracles, nor ought I to have required her to perform them. And since I have been the author of my own dishonor, there is no reason why. So far Anselmo had written, and thus it was plain that at this point, before he could finish what he had to say, his life came to an end. The next day his friends sent intelligence of his death to his relatives, who had already ascertained his misfortune, as well as the convent where Camilla lay almost on the point of accompanying her husband on that inevitable journey, not on account of the tidings of his death, but because of those she received of her lover's departure. Although she saw herself a widow, it is said she refused either to quit the convent or take the veil, until, not long afterwards, intelligence reached her that Lothario had been killed in a battle in which Monsieur de Lautrec had been recently engaged with the great Captain Gonzalo Fernandez de Cordova in the kingdom of Naples, whither her too late repentant lover had repaired. On learning this, Camilla took the veil, and shortly afterwards died, worn out by grief and melancholy. This was the end of all three, an end that came of a thoughtless beginning. I like this novel, said the curate but I cannot persuade myself of its truth. And if it has been invented, the author's invention is faulty, for it is impossible to imagine any husband so foolish as to try such a costly experiment as Anselmo's. If it had been represented as occurring between a gallant and his mistress, it might pass. But between husband and wife, there is something of an impossibility about it. As to the way in which the story is told, however, I have no fault to find." End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 35
Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 36 Of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 36 which treats of more curious incidents that occurred at the inn. Just at that instant, the landlord, who was standing at the gate of the inn, exclaimed, Here comes a fine troop of guests. If they stop here, we may say Gaudiamus. What are they? said Cardenio. Four men, said the landlord, riding a la hineta, with lances and bucklers, and all with black veils, and with them there is a woman in white on a side saddle whose face is also veiled, and two attendants on foot. Are they very near, said the curate. So near, answered the landlord, that here they come. Hearing this, Dorothea covered her face, and Cardenio retreated into Don Quixote's room, and they hardly had time to do so before the whole party the host had described entered the inn, and the four that were on horseback, who were of high-bred appearance and bearing, dismounted, and came forward to take down the woman who rode on the side-saddle, and one of them, taking her in his arms, placed her in a chair that stood at the entrance of the room where Cardenio had hidden himself. All this time neither she nor they had removed their veils or spoken a word. Only on sitting down on the chair the woman gave a deep sigh and let her arms fall like one that was ill and weak. The attendants on foot then led the horses away to the stable observing this the curate curious to know who these people in such a dress and preserving such silence were went to where the servants were standing and put the question to one of them who answered him faith sir i cannot tell you who they are i only know they seem to be people of distinction particularly he who advanced to take the lady you saw in his arms and i say so because all the rest show him respect and nothing is done except what he directs and orders and the lady who is she asked the curate that i cannot tell you either said the servant for i have not seen her face all the way i have indeed heard her sigh many times and utter such groans that she seems to be giving up the ghost every time but it is no wonder if we do no more than we have told you as my comrade and i have only been in their company two days for having met us on the road they begged and persuaded us to accompany them to andalusia promising to pay us as well and have you heard any of them called by his name asked the curate no indeed replied the servant they all preserve a marvellous silence on the road for not a sound is to be heard among them except the poor lady's sighs and sobs which make us pity her and we feel sure that wherever it is she is going it is against her will and as far as one can judge from her dress she is a nun or what is more likely about to become one and perhaps it is because taking the vows is not of her own free will that she is so unhappy as she seems to be that may well be said the curate and leaving them he returned to where dorothea was who hearing the veiled lady sigh moved by natural compassion drew near to her and said what are you suffering from senora if it be anything that women are accustomed and know how to relieve i for my part offer you my services with all my heart 
to this the unhappy lady made no reply and though dorothea repeated her offers more earnestly she still kept silence until the gentleman with the veil who the servant said was obeyed by the rest approached and said to dorothea do not give yourself the trouble senora of making any offers to that woman for it is her way to give no thanks for anything that is done for her and do not try to make her answer unless you want to hear some lie from her lips i have never told a lie was the immediate reply of her who had been silent until now on the contrary it is because i am so truthful and so ignorant of lying devices that i am now in this miserable condition and this i call you yourself to witness for it is my unstained truth that has made you false and a liar cardenio heard these words clearly and distinctly being quite close to the speaker for there was only the door of don quixote's room between them and the instant he did so uttering a loud exclamation he cried good god what is this i hear what voice is this that has reached my ears startled at the voice the lady turned her head and not seeing the speaker she stood up and attempted to enter the room observing which the gentleman held her back preventing her from moving a step in her agitation and sudden movement the silk with which she had covered her face fell off and disclosed a countenance of incomparable and marvellous beauty but pale and terrified for she kept turning her eyes everywhere she could direct her gaze with an eagerness that made her look as if she had lost her senses and so marked that it excited the pity of dorothea and all who beheld her though they knew not what caused it the gentleman grasped her firmly by the shoulders and being so fully occupied with holding her back he was unable to put a hand to his veil which was falling off as it did at length entirely and dorothea who was holding the lady in her arms raising her eyes saw that he who likewise held her was her husband don fernando the instant she recognized him with a prolonged plaintive cry drawn from the depths of her heart she fell backwards fainting and but for the barber being close by to catch her in his arms she would have fallen completely to the ground the curate at once hastened to uncover her face and throw water on it and as he did so don fernando for he it was who held the other in his arms recognized her and stood as if death-stricken by the sight not however relaxing his grasp of lucinda for it was she that was struggling to release herself from his hold having recognized cardenio by his voice as he had recognized her cardenio also heard dorothea's cry as she felt fainting and imagining that it came from his lucinda burst forth in terror from the room and the first thing he saw was don fernando with lucinda in his arms don fernando too knew cardenio at once and all three lucinda cardenio and dorothea stood in silent amazement scarcely knowing what had happened to them they gazed at one another without speaking dorothea at don fernando don fernando at cardenio cardenio at lucinda and lucinda at cardenio the first to break silence was lucinda who thus addressed don fernando lead me senor don fernando for the sake of what you owe to yourself if no other reason will induce you lead me to cling to the wall of which i am the ivy to the support from which neither your importunities nor your threats nor your promises nor your gifts have been able to detach me see how heaven by ways strange and hidden from our sight has brought me face to face with my true husband 
and well you know by dear-bought experience that death alone will be able to efface him from my memory may this plain declaration then lead you as you can do nothing else to turn your love into rage your affection into resentment and so to take my life for if i yield it up in the presence of my beloved husband i count it well bestowed it may be by my death he will be convinced that i kept my faith to him to the last moment of life meanwhile dorothea had come to herself and had heard lucinda's words by means of which she divined who she was but seeing that don fernando did not yet release her or reply to her summoning up her resolution as well as she could she rose and knelt at his feet and with a flood of bright and touching tears addressed him thus if my lord the beams of that sun that thou holdest eclipsed in thine arms did not dazzle and rob thine eyes of sight thou wouldst have seen by this time that she who kneels at thy feet is so long as thou wilt have it so the unhappy and unfortunate dorothea i am that lowly peasant girl whom thou in thy goodness or for thy pleasure wouldst raise high enough to call herself thine i am she who in the seclusion of innocence led a contented life until at the voice of thy importunity and thy true and tender passion as it seemed she opened the gates of her modesty and surrendered to thee the keys of her liberty a gift received by thee but thanklessly as is clearly shown me by my forced retreat to the place where thou dost find me and by thy appearance under the circumstances in which i see thee nevertheless i would not have thee suppose that i have come here driven by my shame it is only grief and sorrow at seeing myself forgotten by thee that have led me it was thy will to make me thine and thou didst so follow thy will that even now even though thou repentest thou canst not help being mine bethink thee my lord the unsurpassable affection i bear thee may compensate for the beauty and noble birth for which thou wouldst desert me thou canst not be the fair lucinda's because thou art mine nor can she be thine because she is cardenio's and it will be easier remember to bend thy will to love one who adores thee than to lead one to love thee who abhors thee now thou didst address thyself to my simplicity thou didst lay siege to my virtue thou wert not ignorant of my station well dost thou know how i yielded wholly to thy will there is no ground or reason for thee to plead deception and if it be so as it is and if thou art a christian as thou art a gentleman why dost thou by such subterfuges put off making me as happy at last as thou didst at first and if thou wilt not have me for what i am thy true and lawful wife at least take and accept me as thy slave for so long as i am thine i will count myself happy and fortunate do not by deserting me let my shame become the talk of the gossips in the streets make not the old age of my parents miserable for the loyal services they as faithful vassals have ever rendered thine are not deserving of such a return and if thou thinkest it will debase thy blood to mingle it with mine reflect that there is little or no nobility in the world that has not travelled the same road and that in illustrious lineages it is not the woman's blood that is of account and moreover that true nobility consists in virtue and if thou art wanting in that refusing me what injustice thou owest me then even i have higher claims to nobility than thine to make an end senor 
these are my last words to thee whether thou wilt or wilt not i am thy wife witness thy words which must not and ought not to be false if thou dost pride thyself on that for want of which thou scornest me witness the pledge which thou didst give me and witness heaven which thou thyself didst call to witness the promise thou hadst made me and if all this fail my own conscience will not fail to lift up its silent voice in the midst of all thy gaiety and vindicate the truth of what i say and mar thy highest pleasure and enjoyment all this and more the injured dorothea delivered with such earnest feeling and such tears that all present even those who came with don fernando were constrained to join her in them don fernando listened to her without replying until ceasing to speak she gave way to such sobs and sighs that it must have been a heart of brass that was not softened by the sight of so great sorrow lucinda stood regarding her with no less compassion for her sufferings than admiration for her intelligence and beauty and would have gone to her to say some words of comfort to her but was prevented by don fernando's grasp which held her fast he overwhelmed with confusion and astonishment after regarding dorothea for some moments with a fixed gaze opened his arms and releasing lucinda exclaimed thou hast conquered fair dorothea thou hast conquered for it is impossible to have the heart to deny the united force of so many truths lucinda in her feebleness was on the point of falling to the ground when don fernando released her but cardenio who stood near having retreated behind don fernando to escape recognition casting fear aside and regardless of what might happen ran forward to support her and said as he clasped her in his arms if heaven in its compassion is willing to let thee rest at last mistress of my heart true constant and fair nowhere canst thou rest more safely than in these arms that now receive thee and received thee before when fortune permitted me to call thee mine at these words lucinda looked up at cardenio at first beginning to recognize him by his voice and then satisfying herself by her eyes that it was he and hardly knowing what she did and heedless of all considerations of decorum she flung her arms around his neck and pressing her face close to his said yes my dear lord you are the true master of this your slave even though adverse fate interpose again and fresh dangers threaten this life that hangs on yours a strange sight was this for don fernando and those that stood around filled with surprise at an incident so unlooked for dorothea fancied that don fernando changed colour and looked as though he meant to take vengeance on cardenio for she observed him put his hand to his sword and the instant the idea struck her with wonderful quickness she clasped him round the knees and kissing them and holding him so as to prevent his moving she said while her tears continued to flow what is it thou wouldst do my only refuge in this unforeseen event thou hast thy wife at thy feet and she whom thou wouldst have for thy wife is in the arms of her husband reflect whether it will be right for thee whether it will be possible for thee to undo what heaven has done or whether it will be becoming in thee to seek to raise her to be thy mate who in spite of every obstacle and strong in her truth and constancy is before thine eyes bathing with the tears of love the face and bosom of her lawful husband for god's sake i entreat of thee for thine own i implore thee let not this open manifestation rouse thy anger 
but rather so calm it as to allow these two lovers to live in peace and quiet without any interference from thee so long as heaven permits them and in so doing thou wilt prove the generosity of thy lofty noble spirit and the world shall see that with thee reason has more influence than passion all the while dorothea was speaking cardenio though he held lucinda in his arms never took his eyes off don fernando determined if he saw him make any hostile movement to try and defend himself and resist as best he could all who might assail him though it should cost him his life but now don fernando's friends as well as the curate and the barber who had been present all the while not forgetting the worthy sancho panza ran forward and gathered round don fernando entreating him to have regard for the tears of dorothea and not suffer her reasonable hopes to be disappointed since as they firmly believed what she said was but the truth and bidding him observe that it was not as it might seem by accident but by a special disposition of providence that they had all met in a place where no one could have expected a meeting and the curate bade him remember that only death could part lucinda from cardenio that even if some sword were to separate them they would think their death most happy and that in a case that admitted of no remedy his wisest course was by conquering and putting a constraint upon himself to show a generous mind and of his own accord suffer these two to enjoy the happiness heaven had granted them he bade him too turn his eyes upon the beauty of dorothea and he would see that few if any could equal much less excel her while to that beauty should be added her modesty and the surpassing love she bore him but besides all this he reminded him that if he prided himself on being a gentleman and a christian he could not do otherwise than keep his plighted word and that in doing so he would obey god and meet the approval of all sensible people who know and recognize it to be the privilege of beauty even in one of humble birth provided virtue accompany it to be able to raise itself to the level of any rank without any slur upon him who places it upon an equality with himself and furthermore that when the potent sway of passion asserts itself so long as there be no mixture of sin in it he is not to be blamed who gives way to it to be brief they added to these such other forcible arguments that don fernando's manly heart being after all nourished by noble blood was touched and yielded to the truth which even had he wished it he could not gainsay and he showed his submission and acceptance of the good advice that had been offered to him by stooping down and embracing dorothea saying to her rise dear lady it is not right that what i hold in my heart should be kneeling at my feet and if until now i have shown no sign of what i own it may have been by heaven's decree in order that seeing the constancy with which you love me i may learn to value you as you deserve what i entreat of you is that you reproach me not with my transgression and grievous wrongdoing for the same cause and force that drove me to make you mine impelled me to struggle against being yours and to prove this turn and look at the eyes of the now happy lucinda and you will see in them an excuse for all my errors and as she has found and gained the object of her desires and i have found in you what satisfies all my wishes may she live in peace and contentment as many happy years with her cardenio as on my knees i pray heaven to allow me to live with my dorothea and with these words he once more embraced her 
and pressed his face to hers with so much tenderness that he had to take great heed to keep his tears from completing the proof of his love and repentance in the sight of all not so lucinda and cardenio and almost all the others for they shed so many tears some in their own happiness some at that of the others that one would have supposed a heavy calamity had fallen upon them all even sancho panza was weeping though afterwards he said he only wept because he saw that dorothea was not as he fancied the queen micomicona of whom he expected such great favours their wonder as well as their weeping lasted some time and then cardenio and lucinda went and fell on their knees before don fernando returning him thanks for the favour he had rendered them in language so grateful that he knew not how to answer them and raising them up embraced them with every mark of affection and courtesy he then asked dorothea how she had managed to reach a place so far removed from her own home and she in a few fitting words told all that she had previously related to cardenio with which don fernando and his companions were so delighted that they wished the story had been longer so charmingly did dorothea describe her misadventures when she had finished don fernando recounted what had befallen him in the city after he had found in lucinda's bosom the paper in which she declared that she was cardenio's wife and never could be his he said he meant to kill her and would have done so had he not been prevented by her parents and that he quitted the house full of rage and shame and resolved to avenge himself when a more convenient opportunity should offer the next day he learned that lucinda had disappeared from her father's house and that no one could tell whither she had gone finally at the end of some months he ascertained that she was in a convent and meant to remain there all the rest of her life if she were not to share it with cardenio and as soon as he had learned this taking these three gentlemen as his companions he arrived at the place where she was but avoided speaking to her fearing that if it were known he was there stricter precautions would be taken in the convent and watching a time when the porter's lodge was open he left two to guard the gate and he and the other entered the convent in quest of lucinda whom they found in the cloisters in conversation with one of the nuns and carrying her off without giving her time to resist they reached a place with her where they provided themselves with what they required for taking her away all which they were able to do in complete safety as the convent was in the country at a considerable distance from the city he added that when lucinda found herself in his power she lost all consciousness and after returning to herself did nothing but weep and sigh without speaking a word and thus in silence and tears they reached that inn which for him was reaching heaven where all the mischances of earth are over and at an end End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 36 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 37 Of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha By Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895 this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 37 In which is continued the story of the famous Princess Micomicona with other droll adventures. To all this Sancho listened with no little sorrow at heart, 
to see how his hopes of dignity were fading away and vanishing in smoke and how the fair princess micomicona had turned into dorothea and the giant into don fernando while his master was sleeping tranquilly totally unconscious of all that had come to pass dorothea was unable to persuade herself that her present happiness was not all a dream cardenio was in a similar state of mind and lucinda's thoughts ran in the same direction don fernando gave thanks to heaven for the favor shown to him and for having been rescued from the intricate labyrinth in which he had been brought so near the destruction of his good name and of his soul and in short everybody in the inn was full of contentment and satisfaction at the happy issue of such a complicated and hopeless business the curate as a sensible man made sound reflections upon the whole affair and congratulated each upon his good fortune but the one that was in the highest spirits and good humour was the landlady because of the promise cardenio and the curate had given her to pay for all the losses and damage she had sustained through don quixote's means sancho as has been already said was the only one who was distressed unhappy and dejected and so with a long face he went in to his master who had just awoke and said to him sir rueful countenance your worship may as well sleep on as much as you like without troubling yourself about killing any giant or restoring her kingdom to the princess for that is all over and settled now i should think it was replied don quixote for i have had the most prodigious and stupendous battle with the giant that i ever remember having had all the days of my life and with one back stroke swish i brought his head tumbling to the ground and so much blood gushed forth from him that it ran in rivulets over the earth like water like red wine your worship had better say replied sancho for i would have you know if you don't know it that the dead giant is a hacked wine-skin and the blood four-and-twenty gallons of red wine that it had in its belly and the cut-off head is the bitch that bore me and the devil take it all what art thou talking about fool said don quixote art thou in thy senses let your worship get up said sancho and you will see the nice business you have made of it and what we have to pay and you will see the queen turned into a private lady called dorothea and other things that will astonish you if you understand them i shall not be surprised at anything of the kind returned don quixote for if thou dost remember the last time we were here i told thee that everything that happened here was a matter of enchantment and it would be no wonder if it were the same now i could believe all that replied sancho if my blanketing was the same sort of thing also only it wasn't but real and genuine for i saw the landlord who is here to-day holding one end of the blanket and jerking me up to the skies very neatly and smartly and with as much laughter as strength and when it comes to be a case of knowing people i hold for my part simple and sinner as i am that there is no enchantment about it at all but a great deal of bruising and plenty of bad luck well well god will give a remedy said don quixote hand me my clothes and let me go out for i want to see these transformations and things thou speakest of sancho fetched him his clothes and while he was dressing the curate gave don fernando and the others present an account of don quixote's madness and of the stratagem they had made use of to withdraw him from that peña pobre where he fancied himself stationed because of his lady's scorn he described to them also nearly all the adventures that sancho had mentioned at which they marvelled and laughed not a little 
thinking it as all did the strangest form of madness a crazy intellect could be capable of but now the curate said that the lady dorothea's good fortune prevented her from proceeding with their purpose it would be necessary to devise or discover some other way of getting him home cardenio proposed to carry out the scheme they had begun and suggested that lucinda would act and support dorothea's part sufficiently well no said don fernando that must not be for i want dorothea to follow out this idea of hers and if the worthy gentleman's village is not very far off i shall be happy if i can do anything for his relief it is not more than two days journey from this said the curate even if it were more said don fernando i would gladly travel so far for the sake of doing so good a work at this moment don quixote came out in full panoply with mambrino's helmet all dinted as it was on his head his buckler on his arm and leaning on his staff or pike the strange figure he presented filled don fernando and the rest with amazement as they contemplated his lean yellow face half a league long his armour of all sorts and the solemnity of his deportment they stood silent waiting to see what he would say and he fixing his eyes on the fair dorothea addressed her with great gravity and composure i am informed fair lady by my squire here that your greatness has been annihilated and your being abolished since from a queen and lady of high degree as you used to be you have been turned into a private maiden if this has been done by the command of the magician king your father through fear that i should not afford you the aid you need and are entitled to i may tell you he did not know and does not know half the mass and was little versed in the annals of chivalry for if he had read and gone through them as attentively and deliberately as i have he would have found at every turn that knights of less renown than mine have accomplished things more difficult it is no great matter to kill a whelp of a giant however arrogant he may be for it is not many hours since i myself was engaged with one and i will not speak of it that they might not say i am lying time however that reveals all will tell the tale when we least expect it you were engaged with a couple of wineskins and not a giant said the landlord at this but don fernando told him to hold his tongue and on no account interrupt don quixote who continued i say in conclusion high and disinherited lady that if your father has brought about this metamorphosis in your person for the reason i have mentioned you ought not to attach any importance to it for there is no peril on earth through which my sword will not force away and with it before many days are over i will bring your enemy's head to the ground and place on yours the crown of your kingdom don quixote said no more and waited for the reply of the princess who aware of don fernando's determination to carry on the deception until don quixote had been conveyed to his home with great ease of manner and gravity made answer whoever told you valiant knight of the rueful countenance that i had undergone any change or transformation did not tell you the truth for i am the same as i was yesterday it is true that certain strokes of good fortune that have given me more than i could have hoped for have made some alteration in me but i have not therefore ceased to be what i was before or to entertain the same desire i have had all through of availing myself of the might of your valiant and invincible arm and so senor let your goodness reinstate the father that begot me in your good opinion and be assured that he was a wise and prudent man 
since by his craft he found out such a sure and easy way of remedying my misfortune for i believe senor that had it not been for you i should never have lit upon the good fortune i now possess and in this i am saying what is perfectly true as most of these gentlemen who are present can fully testify all that remains is to set out on our journey to-morrow for to-day we could not make much way and for the rest of the happy result i am looking forward to i trust to god and the valour of your heart so said the sprightly dorothea and on hearing her don quixote turned to sancho and said to him with an angry air i declare now little sancho thou art the greatest little villain in spain say thief and vagabond hast thou not just now told me that this princess had been turned into a maiden called dorothea and that the head which i am persuaded i cut off from a giant was the bitch that bore thee and other nonsense that put me in the greatest perplexity i have ever been in in all my life i vow and here he looked to heaven and ground his teeth i have a mind to play the mischief with thee in a way that will teach sense for the future to all lying squires of knights-errant in the world let your worship be calm senor returned sancho for it may well be that i have been mistaken as to the change of the lady princess micomicona but as to the giant's head or at least as to the piercing of the wine-skins and the blood being red wine i make no mistake as sure as there is a god because the wounded skins are there at the head of your worship's bed and the red wine has made a lake of the room if not you will see when the eggs come to be fried i mean when his worship the landlord here calls for all the damages for the rest i am heartily glad that her ladyship the queen is as she was for it concerns me as much as any one i tell thee again sancho thou art a fool said don quixote forgive me and that will do that will do said don fernando let us say no more about it and as her ladyship the princess proposes to set out to-morrow because it is too late to-day so be it and we will pass the night in pleasant conversation and to-morrow we will all accompany senor don quixote for we wish to witness the valiant and unparalleled achievements he is about to perform in the course of this mighty enterprise which he has undertaken it is i who shall wait upon and accompany you said don quixote and i am much gratified by the favour that is bestowed upon me and the good opinion entertained of me which i shall strive to justify or it shall cost me my life or even more if it can possibly cost me more many were the compliments and expressions of politeness that passed between don quixote and don fernando but they were brought to an end by a traveller who at this moment entered the inn and who seemed from his attire to be a christian lately come from the country of the moors for he was dressed in a short skirted coat of blue cloth with half sleeves and without a collar his breeches were also of blue cloth and his cap of the same colour and he wore yellow buskins and had a moorish cutlass slung from a baldric across his breast behind him mounted upon an ass there came a woman dressed in moorish fashion with her face veiled and a scarf on her head and wearing a little brocaded cap and a mantle that covered her from her shoulders to her feet the man was of a robust and well-proportioned frame in age a little over forty rather swarthy in complexion with long moustaches and a full beard and in short his appearance was such that if he had been well dressed he would have been taken for a person of quality and good birth on entering he asked for a room and when they told him there was none in the inn he seemed distressed 
and approaching her who by her dress seemed to be a moor he took her down from the saddle in his arms lucinda dorothea the landlady her daughter and maritornes attracted by the strange and to them entirely new costume gathered round her and dorothea who was always kindly courteous and quick-witted perceiving that both she and the man who had brought her were annoyed at not finding a room said to her do not be put out senora by the discomfort and want of luxuries here for it is the way of roadside inns to be without them still if you will be pleased to share our lodging with us pointing to lucinda perhaps you will have found worse accommodations in the course of your journey to this the veiled lady made no reply all she did was to rise from her seat crossing her hands upon her bosom bowing her head and bending her body as a sign that she returned thanks from her silence they concluded that she must be a moor and unable to speak a christian tongue at this moment the captive came up having been until now otherwise engaged and seeing that they all stood round his companion and that she made no reply to what they addressed to her he said ladies this damsel hardly understands my language and can speak none but that of her own country for which reason she does not and cannot answer what has been asked of her nothing has been asked of her returned lucinda she has only been offered our company for this evening and a share of the quarters we occupy where she shall be made as comfortable as the circumstances allow with the good will we are bound to show all strangers that stand in need of it especially if it be a woman to whom the service is rendered on her part and my own senora replied the captive i kiss your hands and i esteem highly as i ought the favour you have offered which on such an occasion and coming from persons of your appearance is it is plain to see a very great one tell me senor said dorothea is this lady a christian or a moor for her dress and her silence lead us to imagine that she is what we could wish she was not in dress and outwardly said he she is a moor but at heart she is a thoroughly good christian for she has the greatest desire to become one then she has not been baptized returned lucinda there has been no opportunity for that replied the captive since she left algiers her native country and home and up to the present she has not found herself in any such imminent danger of death as to make it necessary to baptize her before she has been instructed in all the ceremonies our holy mother church ordains but please god ere long she shall be baptized with a solemnity befitting her quality which is higher than her dress or mine indicates by these words he excited a desire in all who heard them to know who the moorish lady and the captive were but no one liked to ask just then seeing that it was a fitter moment for helping them to rest themselves than for questioning them about their lives dorothea took the moorish lady by the hand and leading her to a seat beside herself requested her to remove her veil she looked at the captive as if to ask him what they meant and what she was to do he said to her in arabic that they asked her to take off her veil and thereupon she removed it and disclosed a countenance so lovely that to dorothea she seemed more beautiful than lucinda and to lucinda more beautiful than dorothea and all the bystanders felt that if any beauty could compare with theirs it was the moorish ladies and there were even those who were inclined to give it somewhat the preference and as it is the privilege and charm of beauty to win the heart and secure good will all forthwith became eager to show kindness and attention to the lovely moor 
don fernando asked the captive what her name was and he replied that it was leila zoraida but the instant she heard him she guessed what the christian had asked and said hastily with some displeasure and energy no not zoraida maria maria giving them to understand that she was called maria and not zoraida these words and the touching earnestness with which she uttered them drew more than one tear from some of the listeners particularly the women who are by nature tender-hearted and compassionate lucinda embraced her affectionately saying yes yes maria maria to which the moor replied yes yes maria zoraida macange which means not zoraida night was now approaching night was now approaching and by the orders of those who accompanied don fernando the landlord had taken care and pains to prepare for them the best supper that was in his power the hour therefore having arrived they all took their seats at a long table like a refectory one for round or square table there was none in the inn and the seat of honour at the head of it though he was for refusing it they assigned to don quixote who desired the lady micomicona to place herself by his side as he was her protector lucinda and zoraida took their places next to her opposite to them were don fernando and cardenio and next the captive and other gentlemen and by the side of the ladies the curate and the barber and so they supped in high enjoyment which was increased when they observed don quixote leave off eating and moved by an impulse like that which made him deliver himself at such length when he supped with the goatherds began to address them verily gentlemen if we reflect upon it great and marvellous are the things they see who make profession of the order of knight-errantry nay what being is there in this world who entering the gate of this castle at this moment and seeing us as we are here would suppose or imagine us to be what we are who would say that this lady who is beside me was the great queen that we all know her to be or that i am that knight of the rueful countenance trumpeted far and wide by the mouth of fame now there can be no doubt that this art and calling surpasses all those that mankind has invented and is the more deserving of being held in honour in proportion as it is the more exposed to peril away with those who assert that letters have the pre-eminence over arms i will tell them whosoever they may be that they know not what they say for the reason which such persons commonly assign and upon which they chiefly rest is that the labours of the mind are greater than those of the body and that arms give employment to the body alone as if the calling were a porter's trade for which nothing more is required than sturdy strength or as if in what we who profess them call arms there were not included acts of vigour for the execution of which high intelligence is requisite or as if the soul of the warrior when he has an army or the defence of a city under his care did not exert itself as much by mind as by body nay see whether by bodily strength it be possible to learn or divine the intentions of the enemy his plans stratagems or obstacles or to ward off impending mischief for all these are the work of the mind and in them the body has no share whatever since therefore arms have need of the mind as much as letters let us see now which of the two minds that of the man of letters or that of the warrior has most to do and this will be seen by the end and goal that each seeks to attain for that purpose is the more estimable which has for its aim the nobler object 
the end and goal of letters i am not speaking now of divine letters the aim of which is to raise and direct the soul to heaven for with an end so infinite no other can be compared i speak of human letters the end of which is to establish distributive justice give to every man that which is his and see and take care that good laws are observed an end undoubtedly noble lofty and deserving of high praise but not such as should be given to that sought by arms which have for their end and object peace the greatest boon that men can desire in this life the first good news the world and mankind received was that which the angels announced on the night that was our day when they sang in the air glory to god in the highest and peace on earth to men of good will and the salutation which the great master of heaven and earth taught his disciples and chosen followers when they entered any house was to say peace be on this house and many other times he said to them my peace i give unto you my peace i leave you peace be with you a jewel and a precious gift given and left by such a hand a jewel without which there can be no happiness either on earth or in heaven this peace is the true end of war and war is only another name for arms this then being admitted that the end of war is peace and that so far it has the advantage of the end of letters let us turn to the bodily labors of the man of letters and those of him who follows the profession of arms and see which are the greater don quixote delivered his discourse in such a manner and in such correct language that for the time being he made it impossible for any of his hearers to consider him a madman on the contrary as they were mostly gentlemen to whom arms are an appurtenance by birth they listened to him with great pleasure as he continued here then i say is what the student has to undergo first of all poverty not that all are poor but to put the case as strongly as possible and when i have said that he endures poverty i think nothing more need be said about his hard fortune for he who is poor has no share of the good things of life this poverty he suffers from in various ways hunger or cold or nakedness or altogether but for all that it is not so extreme but that he gets something to eat though it may be at somewhat unseasonable hours and from the leavings of the rich for the greatest misery of the student is what they themselves call going out for soup and there is always some neighbor's brazier or hearth for them which if it does not warm at least tempers the cold to them and lastly they sleep comfortably at night under a roof i will not go into other particulars as for example want of shirts and no superabundance of shoes thin and threadbare garments and gorging themselves to surfeit in their veracity when good luck has treated them to a banquet of some sort by this road that i have described rough and hard stumbling here falling there getting up again to fall again they reach the rank they desire and that once attained we have seen many who have passed these certes and scillas and charybdises as if borne flying on the wings of favouring fortune we have seen them i say ruling and governing the world from a chair their hunger turned into satiety their cold into comfort their nakedness into fine raiment their sleep on a mat into repose in holland and damask the justly earned reward of their virtue but contrasted and compared with what the warrior undergoes all they have undergone falls short of it as i now am about to show end of volume one part one chapter thirty seven recording by expatriate in bangor maine
Volume One, Part One, Chapter Thirty Eight of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by John Ormsby, eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume One, Part One, Chapter Thirty Eight which treats of the curious discourse don quixote delivered on arms and letters continuing his discourse don quixote said as we began in the student's case with poverty and its accompaniments let us see now if the soldier is richer and we shall find that in poverty itself there is no one poorer for he is dependent on his miserable pay which comes late or never or else on what he can plunder seriously imperilling his life and conscience and sometimes his nakedness will be so great that a slashed doublet serves him for uniform and shirt and in the depth of winter he has to defend himself against the inclemency of the weather in the open field with nothing better than the breath of his mouth which i need not say coming from an empty place must come out cold contrary to the laws of nature to be sure he looks forward to the approach of night to make up for all these discomforts on the bed that awaits him which unless by some fault of his never sins by being over narrow for he can easily measure out on the ground as many feet as he likes and roll himself about in it to his heart's content without any fear of the sheets slipping away from him then after all this suppose the day and hour for taking his degree in the calling to have come suppose the day of battle to have arrived when they invest him with the doctor's cap made of lint to mend some bullet-hole perhaps that has gone through his temples or left him with a crippled arm or leg or if this does not happen and merciful heaven watches over him and keeps him safe and sound it may be he will be in the same poverty he was in before and he must go through more engagements and more battles and come victorious out of all before he betters himself but miracles of that sort are seldom seen for tell me sirs if you have ever reflected upon it by how much do those who have gained by war fall short of the number of those who have perished in it no doubt you will reply that there can be no comparison that the dead cannot be numbered while the living who have been rewarded may be summed up with three figures all which is the reverse in the case of men of letters for by skirts to say nothing of sleeves they all find means of support so that though the soldier has more to endure his reward is much less but against all this it may be urged that it is easier to reward two thousand men of letters than thirty thousand soldiers for the former may be remunerated by giving them places which must perforce be conferred upon men of their calling while the latter can only be recompensed out of the very property of the master they serve but this impossibility only strengthens my argument putting this however aside for it is a puzzling question for which it is difficult to find a solution let us return to the superiority of arms over letters a matter still undecided so many are the arguments put forward on each side for besides those i have mentioned letters say that without them arms cannot maintain themselves for war too has its laws and is governed by them and laws belong to the domain of letters and men of letters to this arms make answer that without them laws cannot be maintained 
for by arms states are defended kingdoms preserved cities protected roads made safe seas cleared of pirates and in short if it were not for them states kingdoms monarchies cities ways by sea and land would be exposed to the violence and confusion which war brings with it so long as it lasts and is free to make use of its privileges and powers and then it is plain that whatever costs most is valued and deserves to be valued most to attain to eminence in letters costs a man time watching hunger nakedness headaches indigestions and other things of the sort some of which i have already referred to but for a man to come in the ordinary course of things to be a good soldier costs him all the student suffers and in an incomparably higher degree for at every step he runs the risk of losing his life for what dread of want or poverty that can reach or harass the student can compare with what the soldier feels who finds himself beleaguered in some stronghold mounting guard in some ravelin or cavalier knows that the enemy is pushing a mine towards the post where he is stationed and cannot under any circumstances retire or fly from the imminent danger that threatens him all he can do is to inform his captain of what is going on so that he may try to remedy it by a countermine and then stand his ground in fear and expectation of the moment when he will fly up to the clouds without wings and descend into the deep against his will and if this seems a trifling risk let us see whether it is equalled or surpassed by the encounter of two galleys stem to stem in the midst of the open sea locked and entangled one with the other when the soldier has no more standing room than two feet of the plank of the spur and yet though he sees before him threatening him as many ministers of death as there are cannon of the foe pointed at him not a lance length from his body and sees too that with the first heedless step he will go down to visit the profundities of neptune's bosom still with dauntless heart urged on by honour that nerves him he makes himself a target for all that musketry and struggles to cross that narrow path to the enemy's ship and what is still more marvellous no sooner has one gone down into the depths he will never rise from till the end of the world than another takes his place and if he too falls into the sea that waits for him like an enemy another and another will succeed him without a moment's pause between their deaths courage and daring the greatest that all the chances of war can show happy the blessed ages that knew not the dread fury of those devilish engines of artillery whose inventor i am persuaded is in hell receiving the reward of his diabolical invention by which he made it easy for a base and cowardly arm to take the life of a gallant gentleman and that when he knows not how or whence in the height of the ardour and enthusiasm that fire and animate brave hearts there should come some random bullet discharged perhaps by one who fled in terror at the flash when he fired off his accursed machine which in an instant puts an end to the projects and cuts off the life of one who deserves to live for ages to come and thus when i reflect on this i am almost tempted to say that in my heart i repent of having adopted this profession of knight-errant in so detestable an age as we live in now for though no peril can make me fear still it gives me some uneasiness to think that powder and lead may rob me of the opportunity of making myself famous and renowned throughout the known earth 
by the might of my arm and the edge of my sword but heaven's will be done if i succeed in my attempt i shall be all the more honoured as i have faced greater dangers than the knights errant of yore expose themselves to all this lengthy discourse don quixote delivered while the others supped forgetting to raise a morsel to his lips though sancho more than once told him to eat his supper as he would have time enough afterwards to say all he wanted it excited fresh pity in those who had heard him to see a man of apparently sound sense and with rational views on every subject he discussed so hopelessly wanting in all when his wretched unlucky chivalry was in question the curate told him he was quite right in all he had said in favour of arms and that he himself though a man of letters and a graduate was of the same opinion they finished their supper the cloth was removed and while the hostess her daughter and maritornes were getting don quixote of la mancha's garret ready in which it was arranged that the women were to be quartered by themselves for the night don fernando begged the captive to tell them the story of his life for it could not fail to be strange and interesting to judge by the hints he had let fall on his arrival in company with zoraida to this the captive replied that he would very willingly yield to his request only he feared his tale would not give them as much pleasure as he wished nevertheless not to be wanting in compliance he would tell it the curate and the others thanked him and added their entreaties and he finding himself so pressed said there was no occasion to ask where command had such weight and added if your worships will give me your attention you will hear a true story which perhaps fictitious ones constructed with ingenious and studied art cannot come up to these words made them settle themselves in their places and preserve a deep silence and he seeing them waiting on his words in mute expectation began thus in a pleasant quiet voice end of volume one part one chapter thirty eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter thirty nine of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter thirty nine wherein the captive relates his life and adventures my family had its origin in a village in the mountains of leon and nature had been kinder and more generous to it than fortune though in the general poverty of those communities my father passed for being even a rich man and he would have been so in reality had he been as clever in preserving his property as he was in spending it this tendency of his to be liberal and profuse he had acquired from having been a soldier in his youth for the soldier's life is a school in which the niggard becomes free-handed and the free-handed prodigal and if any soldiers are to be found who are misers they are monsters of rare occurrence my father went beyond liberality and bordered on prodigality a disposition by no means advantageous to a married man who has children to succeed to his name and position my father had three all sons and all of sufficient age to make choice of a profession 
finding then that he was unable to resist his propensity he resolved to divest himself of the instrument and cause of his prodigality and lavishness to divest himself of wealth without which alexander himself would have seemed parsimonious and so calling us all three aside one day into a room he addressed us in words somewhat to the following effect my sons to assure you that i love you no more need be known or said than that you are my sons and to encourage a suspicion that i do not love you no more is needed than the knowledge that i have no self-control as far as preservation of your patrimony is concerned therefore that you may for the future feel sure that i love you like a father and have no wish to ruin you like a stepfather i propose to do with you what i have for some time back meditated and after mature deliberation decided upon you are now of an age to choose your line of life or at least make choice of a calling that will bring you honour and profit when you are older and what i have resolved to do is to divide my property into four parts three i will give to you to each his portion without making any difference and the other i will retain to live upon and support myself for whatever remainder of life heaven may be pleased to grant me but i wish each of you on taking possession of the share that falls to him to follow one of the paths i shall indicate in this spain of ours there is a proverb to my mind very true as they all are being short aphorisms drawn from long practical experience and the one i refer to says the church or the sea or the king's house as much as to say in plainer language whoever wants to flourish and become rich let him follow the church or go to sea adopting commerce as his calling or go into the king's service in his household for they say better a king's crumb than a lord's favour i say so because it is my will and pleasure that one of you should follow letters another trade and the third serve the king in the wars for it is a difficult matter to gain admission to his service in his household and if war does not bring much wealth it confers great distinction and fame eight days hence i will give you your full shares in money without defrauding you of a farthing as you will see in the end now tell me if you are willing to follow out my idea and advice as i have laid it before you having called upon me as the eldest to answer i after urging him not to strip himself of his property but to spend it all as he pleased for we were young men able to gain our living consented to comply with his wishes and said that mine were to follow the profession of arms and thereby serve god and my king my second brother having made the same proposal decided upon going to the indies embarking the portion that fell to him in trade the youngest and in my opinion the wisest said he would rather follow the church or to go complete his studies at salamanca as soon as we had come to an understanding and made choice of our professions my father embraced us all and in the short time he mentioned carried into effect all he had promised and when he had given to each his share which as well as i remember was three thousand ducats apiece in cash for an uncle of ours bought the estate and paid for it down not to let it go out of the family we all three on the same day took leave of our good father and at the same time as it seemed to me inhuman to leave my father with such scanty means in his old age i induced him to take two of my three thousand ducats as the remainder would be enough to provide me with all a soldier needed my two brothers moved by my example gave him each a thousand ducats 
so that there was left for my father four thousand ducats in money besides three thousand the value of the portion that fell to him which he preferred to retain in land instead of selling it finally as i said we took leave of him and of our uncle whom i have mentioned not without sorrow and tears on both sides they charging us to let them know whenever an opportunity offered how we fared whether well or ill we promised to do so and when he had embraced us and given us his blessing one set out for salamanca the other for seville and i for alicante where i had heard there was a genoese vessel taking in a cargo of wool for genoa it is now some twenty-two years since i left my father's house and all that time though i have written several letters i have had no news whatever of him or of my brothers my own adventures during that period i will now relate briefly i embarked at alicante reached genoa after a prosperous voyage and proceeded thence to milan where i provided myself with arms and a few soldiers accoutrements then it was my intention to go and take service in piedmont but as i was already on the road to alessandria della palia i learned that the great duke of alva was on his way to flanders i changed my plans joined him served under him in the campaigns he made was present at the deaths of the counts egmont and horn and was promoted to be ensign under a famous captain of guadalajara diego de urbina by name some time after my arrival in flanders news came of the league that his holiness pope pius v of happy memory had made with venice and spain against the common enemy the turk who had just then with his fleet taken the famous island of cyprus which belonged to the venetians a loss deplorable and disastrous it was known as a fact that the most serene don john of austria natural brother of our good king don philip was coming as commander-in-chief of the allied forces and rumors were abroad of the vast warlike preparations which were being made all which stirred my heart and filled me with a longing to take part in the campaign which was expected and though i had reason to believe and most certain promises that on the first opportunity that presented itself i should be promoted to be captain i preferred to leave all and betake myself as i did to italy and it was my good fortune that don john had just arrived at genoa and was going on to naples to join the venetian fleet as he afterwards did at messina i may say in short that i took part in that glorious expedition promoted by this time to be a captain of infantry to which honourable charge my good luck rather than my merits raised me and that day so fortunate for christendom because then all the nations of the earth were disabused of the error under which they lay in imagining the turks to be invincible on sea on that day i say on which the ottoman pride and arrogance were broken among all that were there made happy for the christians who died that day were happier than those who remained alive and victorious i alone was miserable for instead of some naval crown that i might have expected had it been in roman times on the night that followed that famous day i found myself with fetters on my feet and manacles on my hands it happened in this way el uchali the king of algiers a daring and successful corsair having attacked and taken the leading maltese galley only three knights being left alive in it and they badly wounded the chief galley of john andrea on board of which i and my company were placed came to its relief in doing as i was bound to do in such a case i leaped on board the enemy's galley 
which shearing off from that which had attacked it prevented my men from following me and so i found myself alone in the midst of my enemies who were in such numbers that i was unable to resist in short i was taken covered with wounds el uchali as you know sirs made his escape with his entire squadron and i was left a prisoner in his power the only sad being among so many filled with joy and the only captive among so many free for there were fifteen thousand christians all at the oar in the turkish fleet that regained their longed-for liberty that day they carried me to constantinople where the grand turk selim made my master general at sea for having done his duty in the battle and carried off as evidence of his bravery the standard of the order of malta the following year which was the year seventy two i found myself at navarino rowing in the leading galley with the three lanterns there i saw and observed how the opportunity of capturing the whole turkish fleet in harbour was lost for all the marines and janissaries that belonged to it made sure that they were about to be attacked inside the very harbour and had their kits and passamaks or shoes ready to flee at once on shore without waiting to be assailed in so great fear did they stand of our fleet but heaven ordered it otherwise not for any fault or neglect of the general who commanded on our side but for the sins of christendom and because it was god's will and pleasure that we should always have instruments of punishment to chastise us as it was el uchali took refuge at modon which is an island near navarino and landing his forces fortified the mouth of the harbour and waited quietly until don john retired on this expedition was taken the galley called the prize whose captain was a son of the famous corsair barbarossa it was taken by the chief neapolitan galley called the she-wolf commanded by that thunderbolt of war that father of his men that successful and unconquered captain don alvaro de bazan marquis of santa cruz and i cannot help telling you what took place at the capture of the prize the son of barbarossa was so cruel and treated his slaves so badly that when those who were at the oars saw that the she-wolf galley was bearing down upon them and gaining upon them they all at once dropped their oars and seized their captain who stood on the stage at the end of the gangway shouting to them to row lustily and passing him on from bench to bench from the poop to the prow they so bit him that before he had got much past the mast his soul had already got to hell so great as i said was the cruelty with which he treated them and the hatred with which they hated him we returned to constantinople in the following year seventy three it became known that don john had seized tunis and taken the kingdom from the turks and placed muli hamet in possession putting an end to the hopes which muli hamida the cruelest and bravest moor in the world entertained of returning to reign there the grand turk took the loss greatly to heart and with the cunning which all his race possess he made peace with the venetians who were much more eager for it than he was in the following year seventy four he attacked the galetta and the fort which don john had left half built near tunis while all these events were occurring i was laboring at the oar without any hope of freedom at least i had no hope of obtaining it by ransom for i was firmly resolved not to write to my father telling him of my misfortunes at length the galetta fell and the fort fell before which places there were seventy-five thousand regular turkish soldiers 
and more than four hundred thousand moors and arabs from all parts of africa and in the train of all this great host such munitions and engines of war and so many pioneers that with their hand they might have covered the galetta and the fort with handfuls of earth the first of all was the galetta until then reckoned impregnable and it fell not by any fault of its defenders who did all that they could and should have done but because experiment proved how easily entrenchments could be made in the desert sand there for water used to be found at two palms depth while the turks found none at two yards and so by means of a quantity of sandbags they raised their works so high that they commanded the walls of the fort sweeping them as if from a cavalier so that no one was able to make a stand or maintain the defence it was a common opinion that our men should not have shut themselves up in the galetta but should have waited in the open at the landing-place but those who say so talk at random and with little knowledge of such matters for if in the galetta and in the fort there were barely seven thousand soldiers how could such a small number however resolute sally out and hold their own against numbers like those of the enemy and how is it possible to help losing a stronghold that is not relieved above all when surrounded by a host of determined enemies in their own country but many thought and i thought so too that it was a special favour and mercy which heaven showed to spain in permitting the destruction of that source and hiding-place of mischief that devourer sponge and moth of countless money fruitlessly wasted there to no other purpose save preserving the memory of its capture by the invincible charles v as if to make that eternal as it is and will be these stones were needed to support it the fort also fell but the turks had to win it inch by inch for the soldiers who defended it fought so gallantly and stoutly that the number of the enemy killed in twenty-two general assaults exceeded twenty-five thousand a three hundred that remained alive not one was taken unwounded a clear and manifest proof of their gallantry and resolution and how sturdily they had defended themselves and held their post a small fort or tower which was in the middle of the lagoon under the command of don juan Zanoguera, a valencian gentleman and a famous soldier capitulated upon terms they took prisoner don pedro puerto carrero commandant of the goleta who had done all in his power to defend his fortress and took the loss of it so much to heart that he died of grief on the way to constantinople where they were carrying him a prisoner they also took the commandant of the fort gabriel serbellon by name a milanese gentleman a great engineer and a very brave soldier in these two fortresses perished many persons of note among whom was pagano doria knight of the order of st john a man of generous disposition as was shown by his extreme liberality to his brother the famous john andrea doria and what made his death the more sad was that he was slain by some arabs to whom seeing that the fort was now lost he entrusted himself and who offered to conduct himself in the disguise of a moor to tabarca a small fort or station on the coast held by the genoese employed in the coral fishery these arabs cut off his head and carried it to the commander of the turkish fleet who proved on them the truth of our castilian proverb that though the treason may please the traitor is hated for they say he ordered those who brought him the present to be hanged for not having brought him alive among the christians who were taken in the fort 
was one named Don Pedro de Aguiar, a native of some place, I know not what, in Andalusia, who had been ensign in the fort, a soldier of great repute and rare intelligence, who had in particular a special gift for what they call poetry. I say so because his fate brought him to my galley and to my bench, and made him a slave to the same master. And before we left the port, this gentleman composed two sonnets by way of epitaphs, one on the galetta and the other on the fort. Indeed, I may as well repeat them, for I have them by heart, and I think they will be liked rather than disliked. The instant the captain mentioned the name of Don Pedro de Aguiar, Don Fernando looked at his companions, and they all three smiled. And when he came to speak of the sonnets, one of them said, Before your worship proceeds any further, I entreat you to tell me what became of that Don Pedro de Aguiar you have spoken of. All I know is, replied the captive, that after having been in Constantinople two years, he escaped in the disguise of an Arnaud in company with a Greek spy. But whether he regained his liberty or not, I cannot tell, though I fancy he did, because a year afterwards I saw the Greek at Constantinople, though I was unable to ask him what the result of the journey was. Well, then you are right, returned the gentleman, for that Don Pedro is my brother, and he is now in our village in good health, rich, married, and with three children. Thanks be to God for all the mercies he has shown him, said the captive, for to my mind there is no happiness on earth to compare with recovering lost liberty. And what is more, said the gentleman, I know the sonnets my brother made. Then let your worship repeat them, said the captive, for you will recite them better than I can. With all my heart, said the gentleman, that on the galetta runs thus. End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 39 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.